Hello and welcome to the Heads and Volleys podcast with me, Lee Dunn. Think about the tools that you have at your disposal when you coach. Are you one of those coaches that has the great big trolley that you pull out of your car and it's full of flags and mannequins and a thousand cones and a hundred pennies and a bunch of spare soccer balls and a whistle and a clipboard and an easy up and a fold out bench. Do you carry all that stuff and you class that as your toolbox? But the purpose of today's toolbox discussion or presentation is really around the toolbox that you use to actually coach your players. So I'm going to go through five methods that I like, that I use, that you're probably familiar with and try and dive into them a little bit, but the concept around the toolbox that we have and then also refining those tools. And as we talk about these ideas, I want you to think about how you use them or if you do or do not use them, then considering to use them or like a good tradesman, you find yourself having a skill that you use or a tool that you use that is just not quite working, you'd probably get rid of it. If you've ever played golf and you have a club in your bag that you pull out of your bag and every time you just think, oh, I can't hit this club, I hate this club, then why do you keep taking it with you? And this is the same thing here. If yelling at your players isn't working, why do you keep yelling at them? So the first one of the toolbox is a very common one. It's true probably across almost every coach that's ever been on the field with players. And that's the use of the freeze method. We're trying to perform something and it's just not working freeze. Now hopefully we're freezing because it's a trend. It's something that we've seen a lot of. We are, for example, trying to build out of the back and we consistently fail in a certain area of the field. This might be a great moment to say freeze where you are. The idea of the freeze is to paint a picture for the players to look around themselves and see where or why the play is breaking down based on how you see it as the coach. Everybody stand still, and this is really important. I got in trouble once on a coaching course because the guy kept freezing the session, and I found myself close to my friend, and by the end of the five-minute stoppage that the coach had talked and talked and talked, he and I, my friend and I, had moved close enough together that we were now essentially standing next to each other talking about what this guy was doing. So unfortunately, the picture that he was trying to create was always going to be false because my friend and I were in the wrong position. Now that's bad, of course, we're on a coaching course, we should be there to help each other. But if we as coaches who understand why we are there are refusing to stand still or I'm moving because we're bored or because we're challenging what this person is doing, imagine how this works for your players. So how can a freeze moment be really good? Freeze moment can be really good if we have maybe set expectations prior or we've given specific tasks to players, which will be another toolbox item I'll talk about shortly. But if we give specific tools to a player or challenges to a player and then we're able to say, freeze, Johnny, what do you see? Okay, defenders collectively, because you're defending the team building out from the back. Are you in a good position? How are you making this difficult for them? How could you make it more difficult? And then collectively for the team building out. Now, instead of isolating Johnny as an individual and saying, Johnny, why do you keep giving the ball away while the entire practice is frozen and everybody's staring at Johnny and Johnny may not enjoy this, maybe even more so if you were coaching girls because the moment you stop and point fingers at girls, it's going to have a really, really adverse effect. So just be careful when you use this freeze method, how you coach the entire group. And the longer you talk, 
the disengaging it is for the players, the more the play of what you thought you had seen or what you want to create is gone. Players will move, players will be all over the place. And actually, when you say freeze, just watch the five seconds afterwards that it takes for everybody to eventually stop. So when you saw the left back and you said freeze, now five seconds later, they're 20 yards further forward and they might be in a better position, they might be in a worse position, but they're in a different position than what you saw when you said freeze. So as soon as you freeze, don't say, go back to where you were, say, okay, you left back, you were right there, go there, please. And then you have to recreate that picture. And this is a true picture of the fact that a lot of our players are clueless when they're playing the game. They're not paying attention to their movement. If you said this to pros, go back to where you were, they'd probably be able to retrace their steps a little bit more accurately than what the players that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis can. But just be careful when you freeze. But once you've frozen it and you've tried to paint that picture, now you're giving them an opportunity to rehearse. We keep failing and building out of the back because we're forcing the ball into a certain area or we're playing too fast. So then... When we've talked about it and I put players back in their positions and painted a picture of how we can get out of that space, now I'm going to say, let's rehearse it. We'll just go with a light pressure. We'll walk through it. Ball goes here. Ball goes there. There is one way that we can get out. There is a way that I would like to see you try and get out. Okay? Ball back to where it started. On three, we're going to play live. Now, of course, the problem with this, again, is unrealistic because the defenders know where the ball is going to go. So maybe in your rehearsal, you might give them two options. Ball goes here, and that defender steps to the right. Can you play to the left? That defender steps to the left. Can you play to the right? And then you're changing up so the players have two options. And ultimately, the pattern might be the same, left or right, but it's giving our players a choice so that the defenders aren't just clued into exactly what's going on. And this is where the freeze method is often the most traditional, the typical. When I took my C license, it was very much freeze, demonstrate my knowledge in the session by manipulating the players, recreating, rehearsing, and then hopefully having success. And I remember it was one of the worst testing moments of my life, waiting for my topic to appear in a 9v9 game. It was pretty awful, actually. It took about 10 minutes for anything to happen. And then I snatched at the first opportunity I got, which is often what freeze can be. We're looking for our players to build on the back. The first time they fail, freeze, versus allowing the play to develop and seeing if they fail over and over again. And then I need to freeze the entire group. So be careful with the freeze method. I like it, but I also really don't like it. And I think I have some better tools for you to explore here. So the first one is the use of timings. Timings being that we play for four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, depending on the number of players that we have on the field. Anything from a 1v1, which should last for 30 seconds at most, to a 7v7, which could play for 7 to 8 to 9 minutes, maybe 6 minutes too. But the use of the timings provides stoppages for us to then be able to coach. And then I support that coaching by underpinning it with several of the following options. But number one is using a tactics board. You see me talk about it a lot. If you follow my Instagram, you'll see pictures on there of me using it. I use it all the time. Even as a grassroots instructor now for US soccer, I outline what we're doing on the field on a tactics board. Not only does it make it super easy and visual, but it gives the coaches something, a tool that they can see being used in a, a really effective way. 
versus it just being the full field with all of the magnets on it, which is really fun for players to play around with. You go to a tournament, you're early for a game and you can't warm up yet, things like that. The tactics board is a really interactive tool that you can use to see what your players know. You can challenge them to move themselves, but importantly, you can use it for a lot of different things. If you have practice starting at five o'clock and you like to have your players act activities laid out or you have set yourself up in a way that maybe you are doing player meetings for the start of practice or you're talking to a parent or anything who knows what's going on on the field there's all sorts of stuff that goes on even though of course as a professional we say that we're always ready and we're always on time not always the case so if you have a tactics board and on it you write down the warm-up whether that is a rival small-sided games, which would be my recommendation for any age, really. Small-sided games, dynamic stretches. Small-sided games, dynamic stretches. This is our rival activity. Now, they can read it on the board. You could create the teams if you want to. You can set rules that you can only score on a one-touch or there must be X amount of goals scored from this area of the field or whatever in whatever is going to tie into the rest of the practice for you. Now, that's written on the board, lean it against a goalpost, prop it up on a cone, or even just lay it down and let everybody know that when they arrive, they need to look at the tactics board for, to know what to do. You would go to a CrossFit gym or any other sort of gym, really, to be honest, too, where they write the workout on the board. You simply go in, see the workout, and get on with it. And this would be very, very similar. Now, I may spend a couple of weeks teaching my players to become familiar with checking the tactics board and what things mean on it. But for the most part, it's always going to be the same thing on there because I'm not really going to change it up on them all that often. So the tactics board I use in terms of the warm-up. Now I'll also use it for describing and showing what the core practice will be. That could be whether it is a 5v5 half field and we're building out and this is what it looks like. This is where the spare players are going to be, their feeders, their targets. Here is what the flow of the game is. Okay, Johnny, you as the left back, just give me an example of how you might play in this game. Perfect. That looks great. That'd be. Do you guys agree? Do you think that'd be helpful for us? What about you as defenders? How would you stop that? And then we talk through these moments on a tactics board. Do I do it all at once? No. We'll go and play for five minutes. We'll take a water break, we come back, or maybe we just take a 30 second break and I talk to an individual and then we play again. But I've always got the tactics board handy and I may just take that tactics board to the blue team, the team that's attacking and say, okay, show me what you're trying to achieve here. What sort of patterns can you create if you're shaped like this or if you're shaped like that? Or I'll say, this is the positions that you found yourselves in for the most part of that five minutes and I may show them condensed or too spread out or too isolated and then I'll say okay how can you help that player when that player is isolated there or when we're too condensed here how do we get out of that what can we do and they move their pieces and they talk through it and then they go and play so instead of freezing them I'm given the opportunity to see on a board what we've done or what they've done and what it looks like or what they could do and then see if they can go and execute is this hands-on fixing like a freeze approach would be? No. But is it allowing the players to explore and to challenge themselves and to 
consider ideas that they've heard from another teammate in a way that is removed from the passion of the game. Because in a game, especially with young players, if another player says, hey, you've got to move up or you've got to do this, it can often be taken as a bad thing because only the coach can tell players what to do in that soccer environment, unless we train them right, of course. But often instruction comes from the coach. So when, a, when another player starts giving out instruction, it can rub other players the wrong way and they don't like it. So just be careful of that too. But the use of a tactics board, for me, is one of the best things that you can do with your players. Now, you could get a big tactics board. You go to the training center for U.S. soccer in Kansas City. They have the great big ones that roll out on wheels, and I've seen coaches roll them onto the field. I just have a, I don't know, a mid-sized one, I guess. I guess I could figure out the dimensions for you, but it's a mid-sized one, and the magnetic pieces are on there, and it's fantastic. There are lots and lots out there that you can choose from. Just find one that works for you, but absolutely use it and make sure you get it with the whiteboard capacity on it too so you can draw on it with a pen drawing on it also really helps and then part two of that would be that i would use technology like tactical pad you've heard me talk about tactical pad enough right now you know it creates gifs you know it creates images but i'll create the session plan and send it to my players or i will send it to the parents and then i will also have it on the whiteboard and so it supports it and the great thing about creating the gifts from Tactical Pad is that I can show desired behaviors. If it's something that maybe we haven't worked on yet, or even if I'm showing a trend from the game, this is what we did a lot in the game. Now, how can we adjust that? So they've seen it not only through the film, the game film, if we've been lucky enough to film the game and then create a highlight from it, but then also in a gift. So I'm just reinforcing the way these players are getting their information from me. And of course, it's visual. A lot of our players now are very familiar with phones. They're very familiar with technology. They get a lot of their information from YouTube and from Google, mostly YouTube or even things like TikTok. Create TikToks, send it to your players and watch them understand it with just a little bit more depth than you talking and talking and talking at the start of training. And then get into 1v1 or one-on-one -on -one coaching. I like to say 1v1 because they see it as a challenge. The idea is that I'm telling individual players, whether it's coaching or whether it's challenges for them, but I'm telling them how they can be better in the greater scope of the training session. Again, I mentioned in a freeze, it's very easy to say, freeze, Johnny at left back, you messed up. And how can everybody else now in this freeze moment help you not mess up? And it's very easy to go down that route. Instead of allowing play to go, and then in the ear of Johnny, whether it is the ball's gone out of play and I just tell them to hold the ball for 10 seconds, or in the flow of the game, I may sub him out and talk to him. I might put him as a feeder or as a target so I can go and stand next to him and we can watch a player play in the same position. Or again, with a tactics board or before practice with a conversation with his mom or his dad and even perhaps at the end of a training session for tomorrow, I will say, here is how you could improve. Or what did you try and achieve in that moment? What were you trying to see? What, what can I help you with more so that you don't lose the ball in that position? What do you need from the players around you? And I begin to understand this player just a little bit more. I've talked about having personal points of contact with players two, three, four times in a training session. One is always the arrival and then the others are always coaching. And this is one way that I can not only gain one-on-one -on -one time with the players, but I can give them valuable coaching instead of calling them out in front of everybody else. 
And then my favorite is to go back to the story of Ollie Watkins when he was playing in lower league football in England and being challenged by his then coach to touch the ball five times in the next two minutes. And so he has to go and find the ball. Now, were his touches all that valuable? Probably not. I talked about it in that episode where exploring the challenges that you can give to players and I believe that they need to be relevant to that player. But also a lot of the time it can be as simple as trying to touch the ball in a certain amount of time or within that window of play. And the reason for that would simply be for confidence, would be for their involvement. So they go and find the ball. They go and get on it. Often, and this is what happens with a 4-3-3 formation in the US, we have the left and right wide forwards. And what are their typical behaviors in games? They stand wide and they're isolated. And they wait for the ball and they wait for the ball so they can take off. As soon as they get it, they just want to go and beat that player 1v1 and go to goal. And they think that receiving the ball at halfway or just inside the opponent's half, they're going to be able to beat one player and go and score a goal. Because maybe they had that success early on, Maybe they think they've seen it from the pros or they had that success once before. But the reality is that player, those players are key outlets for us and they're just not involved in the traditional ways of playing the game and playing that position in that formation. So now instead of saying touch the ball five times in this this little window of play and if you don't, you're going to do 100 push-ups. Actually, I'm going to say, okay, now I've given you that challenge and I've been able to watch you and assess, okay, I see perhaps where you're struggling. I see perhaps why you're not getting on the ball and I can just pay a little bit more attention because that position in that moment is integral for us to have success. Keep picking on Johnny at left back, but the same point goes. Hey, Johnny, can you be an outlet for us three times? Even if you don't get the ball, I want you to be an outlet, whether that is advancing into midfield, whether that is dropping deep enough to receive the ball to see forwards, whatever it is, whatever the nuances you want of that player in that position in that moment, That is the challenge that I'm going to give to that player. And then I'm able to give that player direct feedback. I don't think when we coach a 5v5 game, I don't think we can necessarily give individual feedback if we're not really challenging them on their position, on things relative to them. Otherwise, it's just general general feedback that says, you know, you guys did a good job. You guys could have done better in these moments. But I think it's very, very much more beneficial to a player to be able to say to them, this is how you can improve in this position. This is the homework I'm going to give you. Watch these players, watch this, watch that. And that's how you're going to improve here. And then two different types of feedback that I picked up at the convention a couple of years ago, and that was hot and cold feedback. Hot is immediate. Why did you do that? What did you see? What were you trying to achieve versus how it is often given? What are you doing? Oh, great pass or unlucky. Unlucky. Probably the worst coaching word in the world. Anyway, hot is immediate. You try to do it. That's generally when a player has gone, ah. And you know that they know they made a mistake. But instead of harping on the mistake, I want to know, what did you see? What were you trying to execute in that moment? And often we can see it. I can see that you were trying to slide that ball inside and you overhit it or you underhit it. But I want to know why. Why did you feel the need or the lack of control to overhit it? Was it excitement? What, what was it? Was, was it that you saw the window closing and it just wasn't quite there? I want to know what you see. So then I can maybe not give immediate feedback on it, but I'm able to, or immediate coaching, but I'm able to understand why the player is doing that. 
Of course, we have mindless things, especially in lower level of soccer where the ball comes in, the player just punts it away. Same thing. Why did you do that? What, what is it? Is it because your dad yells, get it out, get it out, get it out, or you don't want to be caught with the ball at your feet and make a mistake and let the other team score when you're 20 yards from your own goal? Help me understand why. And that's where I think heart is really, really valuable. And it just challenges a player to reflect a little bit more and be able to answer why they did it straight away. There's no right or wrong answer. And I generally don't coach based on that. I just want to know what you see. And I'll take that into stock as I'm beginning to watch you a little bit more here. And then cold, end of practice. Do you remember in the fourth moment of our game where you just booted the ball away? Do you remember why you did that? No, I don't coach because you know that's going to be the case. So, okay, well, I saw it and you did it. So just think about that. Think about why you would do that. And now it just pulls on a little bit more of a reflection moment for that player, a little bit more of their memory recall, help them understand why they did it. And now I may coach this a little bit more too. Think about you booted the ball away, but actually if you took a touch and found the left wing or the right wing, you might have been able to help us there. So now just pay attention when you watch the game, when you do your homework, whatever that is, why you did that and what you were thinking, because that's going to really improve your game right there. That's the hot and cold feedback that I really enjoy. And then I'll tie in power words with that for one-on-one and then for hot and cold feedback. Switch is my favorite. You know, switch, 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 switch. Switch is a power word. When we yell switch, a parent could yell switch, a passerby could yell switch, and everybody starts doing the same thing. Everybody looks to the other side of the field, everybody opens up, and it's like the the entire uh, the playing field has like an unbalance to it and it's like everything is leaning to the other side of the field and the ball just has to go over there and then think about coach Carter the movie where he yells Linda and there's a type of play that they run which is very true of how I've seen some coaches run set pieces and things like that but power words they may be a secret language that you develop with your players or with an individual player. So that player who is looking to boot the ball all the time, perhaps I know that they like to play another sport and perhaps they like their favorite food is banana. I use banana a lot because it just goes to show how we can really use any word, but it's got to be relative to that player. You could use banana. Anytime that ball's going to that player, banana. And it just helps them focus and settle and know that they're probably about to boot the ball away, but they know based on coaching, based on training, they can take a touch and they can look to play the ball into another space. And that's really what I mean by having a relationship with the players and then using power words like that, being able to connect with your players in a way. And all of this is true for probably any other part of life too. Whether you have children, whether you're a manager, you direct people, you direct coaches, you direct others within our environments that we have throughout our day everything that we do you can use things like that and banana is no different here i'm saying to my player this one player in particular hey banana 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 it sounds silly doesn't it but now that's just something that will stick in their mind now of course banana isn't going to translate to when they go to college and play soccer because you've done a great job with them but it's something that they can use to to center themselves if you looked at the idp stuff that i've talked about over and over and have on my website in there is the game face. Part of that is developing key words that a player can have to hone themselves. It centers themselves. It removes a lot of the distractions around them. And my argument here is that power words would be no different to help your players adjust, to help them catch particular moments. Now, if we create 
an arsenal of words, almost like a thesaurus of 50 words for our team and for our individuals, there's probably a good chance that it's going to go by the wayside. But individual players who we feel like need to get on the ball, maybe we just have a key word for them. Or the player that wants to keep giving the ball away when they bang it down the field, we're going to have a key word for that player. And then importantly, everybody else begins to learn that too. And you'd be amazed at what it can do to a player when three players are yelling banana as that player is about to get the ball because they're suddenly going to start listening a little bit more too. So I wrap all of these tools up from the freeze, which I would say once we've struggled or once we failed or once we've had the same trend over and over and our individual coaching and using of the tactics board is not working, that's when a freeze moment comes in. Freeze. This is what I'm talking to you guys about. Johnny, remember what we talked about on the side? Yeah, absolutely. Kayla, remember the touches on the ball. How do you get the touches on the ball? How do you come and join in? How do you do this? How do you do that? Everybody else, defenders, attackers, whatever the situation is. Then a freeze moment probably makes a lot of sense because we've set up as much as we can. We've had a strong foundation. We failed to say banana. So the ball's been banged down the field and now we're out of position again. That's a great moment to say freeze. But before that, consider the use of a tactics board and the technology to set up training. Consider the use of one-on-one or 1v1 coaching. Consider the use of power words. And then underpin all of that with a notepad. A notepad is incredibly powerful. Not only do I use it in games to write down what I see of the opponent, write down what I see of the trends of our team. If I have an assistant coach available, I have the assistant coach watch our team because they know our team. And then I watch the opponent for the first five, 10 minutes, depending on the length of the game and the situation. Generally, kid soccer is very predictable and you're able to find kind of the nuances and the strengths of a team pretty quickly. The more you do it, the more familiar you become, especially in the US. Everybody plays 4-3-3. Everybody does the same thing. The, the, The confusion may be, do they play an attacking triangle in the middle or a defensive triangle in the middle? It's really tricky sometimes, but this is the point. I have my notepad, I write it down, but then I also use the notepad in training too. And I'm making comments. Johnny, just he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And I'm going to write it down. And I'm not going to tell him he just doesn't get it because he probably knows that too. And I've given him some one-on-one coaching and I'll write those things down too. Task Johnny with getting wide. Task Johnny with tucking inside. Rotated Johnny to the right back. Rotated Johnny out and put somebody else in at left back. And I'm just tracking these things because this is what is going to help us as a team improve. How do we improve? We are looking at just small developments all of the time, just consistently developing. We train two, three, four days a week. That's far more than, we have far more hands-on than what we do with the game. Yet we judge and challenge our players based on what the game produced. So in training, we try to build out for four days and it doesn't quite work. We go to the game and it works. So then suddenly we move on. Not necessarily the case, or at least I don't think it should be the case. It's all part of our microcycle or macrocycle. But the notepad is where I also write down swear words, where I also write down what I'm really mad about. Why do I do that? I do that because it serves no purpose or very little purpose to the referee to yell at him or her, to tell them what I think of them. It does nothing. It probably just gets me in trouble, which then also is a reflection of myself onto my team and the families of my players who then also see that it's okay to do the same things. The coach is an idiot. Uh, The coach is an idiot. That's fine too. Or the other coach or the referee. I'm just going to write it down. 
then I write it down and it's done. And it's just a skill that I've started using more and more, again, because just running my mouth does nothing. It feels good sometimes, but you get a red card, you get you get tossed from a game, or now you've got other people standing there watching and you go to high-profile events like ECNL showcases or you're coaching in the MLS academies or you are, like I do at ODP, and I saw a coach losing his mind. And I just think on this stage, there are so many high-level people that may like you, may be giving, looking to give you an opportunity. You're also showing who you are. You're showing you're representing more than just yourself. And I think that writing things down is a really good way of saying exactly how I feel without actually saying it. Because the benefit is nobody needs to know how I really feel because as a coach, it's not really about me. Yeah, I'll defend my players. Yeah, I'll ask for things with the referee in a way that is respectful but if I think he's an idiot, I'm going to write it down and I might circle it five times and draw stars off of it because that's how mad I am. But ultimately it goes down in my, in my notepad and it goes into my pocket that nobody else can see. And then I take from that my notes to go and work with my players and to challenge them in other ways too. So the coach's toolbox. I covered this in episode 36 also with my good friend Chris Rogers and I felt a need to revisit because as I coach the um, grass license, grassroots licenses for U.S. soccer, I found that we touch on the coach's toolbox, but a lot of the value of the coach's toolbox comes from experience. And I hope that just by thinking about what has been shared in, in this episode alone and then a revisit to episode 36 too will also help you just refine those tools, maybe sharpen some of those tools, and maybe even throw away one or two of them. Let me know what you think at Lead on Soccer, everywhere you want to find me. More coming soon.